Okay, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 32. Today, we're going to just divert for one class, focusing on the holiday of Shavuot. but still within the subject of Simha. There is a, uh, a statement that most Americans recognize. It's part of the Declaration of Independence that the founding fathers of this country, they wrote when they established the country that the country was established based on some basic rights that every citizen would have. And that is the right to life, meaning everybody has the right to live. That sounds pretty basic. To liberty, which means that every citizen, every person, has a right to free choice and freedom, not to be a slave, not to be controlled. He has the liberty to choose his derech. And the third one is the pursuit of happiness. So the first two are quite obvious, no shock over there, that every right, every person has that right to live and a right to choose. But it's interesting that they put also the pursuit of happiness as a right that every person has to pursue the happiness of his choice. <coughs> Clearly, pursuing happiness is, we'll call it, the nature of every human being. And whether this third item should have been included with life and liberty is really not for today's discussion. But the question I think that's relevant for us is to ask ourselves, is that really a pursuit that we should be engaged in? Should we be engaged in the pursuit of happiness? Meaning, if one day your son or daughter or somebody that's close to you would ask you and says, you're a smart person, you have wisdom, you have experience, I wanna ask you, should I be pursuing happiness? Is that how I should live my life? That's a question that I think all of us should be asking ourselves. Is the pursuit of happiness something that the Torah would say Absolutely. That is the way you're supposed to live life. I mean, we're on the 32nd class of Simha. So you would say, I mean, Simha is such an... In By now, we already know how integral Simha is to our life, not only in the form of enjoyment, but in so many things that it gives us and brings us to accomplish. So by now, we should be answering what's the question. Of course, pursuit of happiness is just as Jewish 
as the pursuit of happiness in the Declaration of Independence. It's absolute. We should be pursuing happiness. When I come to make choices in my life, I should choose the derech, the way that's going to bring me happiness and simha. So again, that's going to be today's question. Is it correct from the Torah Hashkafa that as humans, when we make decisions, and we make them all the time, we make decisions every day, every hour, every minute, really every second, when we make decisions, should our guidance be the pursuit of happiness? Is that how I decide? Or is that the wrong way to live? I'm going to share with you the words of Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of his life. I want you to pay attention because it's important to know what the words are saying. It says Moshe Rabbeinu, Re'eh. Natati lefanecha hayom. I have given before you today etahayim veetatov veethamavet veethara. Basically, Moshe Rabbeinu is describing for every one of us that we have a menu, and there are two options on this menu. It's not a long menu. Two options. In one plate, you have. Hayim, something that gives you life. Ve'et ha-tov. Tov means something that is sweet, something that's good. Like we say in the Torah, Al ha-aretz ha-tova asher natalach. Hashem gave you a good land, an enjoyable land. Like we see by ha-isha, v'tere ha-isha, ki tov ha-etz lema'achal. She saw that this tree has good fruit, tasty food. Like we say, Miyagon lesimha, from agony to happiness. Me'evel lo'alenu, from morning le'yom tov, to a happy time. So, ketov lev ha'melech bayayin. Mazet tov. Tov meaning when the king was happy, when he was drinking. So on the menu, we have in one plate, something that gives hayim, it gives life. And it's also tov. It's also tasty. It's sweet. It's good. On the other plate, you have et hamavet. Mavet means death. Ve et hara. And something that's not so good. Something that's not so tasty. Very simple. Two items. One has hayim and tov. One has Mavet and Ra. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, that's your menu in life. Re'eh natati I'm putting in front of you is a menu. These are the two options. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, Ubaharta Bahaim. My recommendation to you is, or maybe my commandment to you is, Choose Hayim. Choose life. Make a good choice. You have two plates. Don't choose the wrong one. Now, if I was standing by Har Sinai, or wherever Moshe Rabbeinu was when he said this, I would be so offended by his second statement. I understand what he told me. 
here are the plates in front of you. You know, if I don't know what's in front of me, and you tell me, by the way, that's very tasty, and it's very healthy, it'll extend your life. This item on this plate, you may not realize, but it's not tasty at all, and it's poison, it's gonna kill you. So I think that information is pretty important, because I didn't know. To me, they look the same. But then after you tell me that one is poison, and one is healthy, that one is tasty, and one is rotten, and then you say to me, and by the way, my recommendation to you is, choose the healthy, tasty one. Don't choose the poison. Don't choose the rotten food. I would be offended by that. Because what do you, what do you think? You think I don't understand if I have poison and I have life, that I should choose life? You think I'm that ignorant that you need to tell me Imagine a guy tells you, I have inside trading from the stock market. Tomorrow, this stock is going up a hundred times, and that one is going down a hundred. So, my recommendation, buy that one, the one that's going up. That's the first part of the statement is fine, but it's very offensive to give people advice on something that's so obvious. What's Moshe Rabbeinu doing when he says, my recommendation is to choose life. Again, I may not have known the menu, so I appreciate you clarifying what's on the plate. But once you tell me what's on the plate, you don't need to tell me to choose life. That's question number one. It's a very obvious question. The other question is, maybe not so obvious, but when you read it, it sticks out also. If you notice that the menu had on each plate two things. When it came to the right side, it says there was hayim. There was something in it that was life. And it was tov. Tov means it's good. But when it came to choosing, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Ubaharta bahayim. He left out the other thing in the plate. Why didn't he say, Choose life and the tasty item. Why did he in the choice leave out the tov? He just says, That's the two questions that we're going to be dealing with right now. First of all, you should know that in life, there are things that give you life. And not always things that give you life are tasty. For example, a person goes to the doctor and has to, God forbid, amputate something of his body. It's giving the person life. It's giving you life. But it's not tov. It's not very tasty. It's not very enjoyable. A person could take medicine that's very bitter, that's ra, But it gives you hayim. So there are things in life that give you life, they extend your life, they give you a better life, but they're not good at all. And there are things that are very sweet, tov, ah, so good, but they don't give you hayim. A person can overeat, he may be enjoying every bite, but it's not good. A person can have certain medical situations where certain things are not good for them, 
so they may enjoy the food that they're eating, but in a moment's time, their hayim is going to leave them, or it's going to go down. So not everything in life has both. There are sometimes things that have hayim, they give you life, and they're not so tasty, and there are things that are very tasty, but they're not hayim. So Hashem is saying to us that the Torah that I gave you, A, it gives you life, and it's also very tasty. What does it mean it gives you life? I just want to explain that for a moment because it's important. It doesn't mean that a person who doesn't live with Torah in their life is dead. That's not what it means. Not everybody who is alive is keeping Torah. So you'll say, what do you mean? How are they living? They're walking, they're moving, they're eating. Hayim, as I've mentioned to you a number of times before, the word Hayim doesn't only describe a person who is physically alive or physically dead. That's one type of Hayim, is to be breathing. If a person's breathing, it's, it's high. Let's say Lo'alin, a person is in a coma. So that person is alive. We don't sit Shiva on somebody in a coma. He's definitely alive. You're not saying Kaddish on the person. But you can't call the person, when you ask on Rosh Hashanah, Zohrenu lehayim. You are not thinking about the guy in the coma. That's not what you were asking for. Because even though a person technically is alive, but they're not really living. It's a very big difference. A person who is not in a coma, but can't move. Okay, he's also alive. But not the highest level of life. A person is able to walk, but they can't move their arms. Limited. A person can move their arms and their legs, but they can't talk. Limited. A person, the more limited you are, the less hayim you have. The higher you live, the more, for example, if you're a person who's not only able to accomplish a lot, but every minute of your life, you're able to utilize, you're able to do something, you're able to live it up, to live life to the fullest, meaning taking advantage of every gift that you have, every piece of energy that you have, and every opportunity that you have. If you're the person who's waking up early in the morning because you have so much to do, and you don't want to go to sleep because you have so much to accomplish, just like a little baby. Take a baby and put him to sleep in a crib. He doesn't want to sleep. Unless he's that tired, he doesn't want to sleep. Why? Because he loves to live. We can't understand it. If someone put us in a crib, we'd be, thank you so much. Come back in 24 hours. But a baby? We wonder, what's wrong? I'm putting you to sleep. Go to sleep. He doesn't want to sleep. Why would he want to sleep if he's alive? If you're enjoying life, you don't want to sleep. Hayim has many levels. So when we say that Torah gives Hayim, it doesn't mean that it gives you the ability to breathe. It means it gives you the ability, the ability to live life to the fullest. That's what Torah is, Hayim. And when we say the other side is death, it doesn't mean that God forbid you're going to die. That's not what it means. But it means if living life to the fullest is the highest high life, then anything less than that 
is like mavet, for, for, for example. If a person sits around for an entire day and does nothing, zero. That's called a dead day. You had a dead day. Now, if you're on vacation and you're relaxing because you need your energy, so that's not called dead. That's important. When you go to sleep at night, you're re-energizing yourself. That's not called dead. Sometimes relaxation is part of hayim. But if you just are doing nothing, lishma, l'shem shamayim, for no reason. That's what you do. You look forward in your life to do nothing. Like many people, many people, they, they're waiting for the moment in life where they can do nothing. They'll work an entire week so that they can have a weekend of doing nothing. It's not that the weekend is helping them re-energize for Monday. No, they have to work Monday to Friday so that they can live by doing nothing on Shabbat and Sunday. It's a whole different idea. I have to work many years of my life because maybe one day I'll retire. And then I could start living. That's not life. Life means taking full advantage of everything that you have and all the opportunity that you have. That's called Hayim. You know, in in uh, in the time of the uh, in Athens in Greeks thousands of years ago, there were great philosophers. Some of them would walk around in the street and ask. You know, how do you live? What's life? So this is an important question. Now you're here on the planet, you're breathing, you're walking, but how do you do it? The Torah gives us We have guidance of how to make life of what we were given in this world. How critical is this? says in Masechet Makot, very surprising halakha. I don't know that we can even imagine this halakha. But the halakha says that if a person kills, murders, without intent, he wasn't, without, he is guilty, but it was without intent. He didn't do it on purpose, but at the same time he was negligent. That's called the murderer who kills Bishogeg. So what do we do with this guy? We send them to cities in Eretz Israel. There are 48 cities called Are Miklat, cities of refuge, where he's there, where he goes there, and he is protected from any of the family members that want to take revenge. He has to stay there until it's basically a prison sentence. He has to stay in that city. It's a nice city. There are people living there, but it's away from his family, away from his neighbors, his business, whatever it is, he's got to move out. He stays there until the Kohen Gadol dies, which may be never in his lifetime. Says the halacha, the Rambam brings it from the Gemara, the Rambam says that if you have a Talmud who goes to Ir Mikat, Megalin Rabo Imo, they go to his rabbi, and they tell his rabbi, uh, you're going to have to move. With your student. Imagine what the rabbi did. He didn't do anything. His student killed Bishogeg. They tell the rabbi, you have to go live with him so long as he's there. Why? Because the Pasuk says, Vahai. Vahai means that when you send this guy, this murderer, 
Te'ir miklat. You have to make sure. Bahai. Hai means make sure you give him life. Okay, so we, we would say that means get him a place to stay, get him some money, get him some food, make him dinner, make him lunch. Hai, life. Now, says the Rambam, as the Gemara says, that a person who has tasted the Hayim of Torah, the life of Torah, he says, listen to these words, Someone who is, he has experienced the life of Chokhmah, of wisdom, and now you put him without it, it's like a killing the guy. Meaning, take a regular person who never learns Torah, put him in a Eir Miklat, you don't have to send the rabbi with him. Because he's living the same way he was living before. What's his life? Food, sleep, drinks, that's it. That's, what, that's his life. But a Talmud, a Talmud is someone who is, he has experienced Life of Torah, learning, that's a much higher level of life. And you put him in Eir Miklat without his rabbi? So you're killing the guy. That's called mitah. Just like we understand the difference between a coma and a person who's walking around. And we understand if you're walking around and then you're able to do or accomplish more, we understand that difference. Says the Rambam, as the Gemara says, that the Torah... When you live with Torah and Torah learning, so you're living a different level of life. And if you take that away from him, you're basically killing him. That's why the Pasuk says, which means that the Torah is like a tree, but not a tree that gives apples, not a tree that gives oranges. And not a tree that gives water. It's a tree that gives life. Could you imagine you had a tree outside and you could just take life off of it? Every time you eat something from it, it gives you life. You're feeling fulfilled. You're feeling full. You feel not from, not from sweet oranges. Your whole soul is uplifted. Sometimes you go to a class, you learn something, you walk out, you feel something is full inside of you. You didn't eat anything. You may have lost weight during the class. It was so long that you lost weight. But, but you feel full. You feel, ah, I just got, what, what'd you get? Show me, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where in your body? Show me where it is. You can't find it. Because hayim of Torah are above the physical standard. There's no physical thing you could point at. That's why Aetz Hayim says Shalom Melech that the Torah is like a tree that gives life. Oh, but you said, but I'm living. What do you mean? I live. I live. I've been living for 50 years. What's the problem? No, no. You never live like this. Also, an ant is living, but it's not living a life of a human. You can't compare that. So just because you're living and breathing, it doesn't mean you've experienced the Etz Hayim. Says Shalomah Melech, for you to get this Etz Hayim, you have to grab onto it. 
You have to hold on to it. It has to, mahazikimba. You know what mahazikimba means? I'll tell you, I'll give you the example of mahazikimba. A person is lo'aleinu drowning in the middle of the ocean. He doesn't have a chance. And all of a sudden he sees a plank of wood. So he knows this is it. This is my shot. He takes the wood and not just grabs onto it with his fingers. Not just with his hand loosely. The guy takes it and he hugs it. He's not letting go of that plank of wood. Why? Because it's his life. One wrong move and you're dead. Ayat's hayim he to who? To whom is the Torah? If you understand how holding on to, because you're holding on to it in such a way that you appreciate what it's doing for you, you realize that it's hayim. That's why there's a famous Gemara that says that Rabbi Akiva was teaching students in the time when there was a decree by the Romans in Mahshemam that the Jewish people were not allowed to learn Torah. This happened in the Tzafon, in the north of Israel, in the time of Rabbi Akiva, about 2,000 years ago. Even the Goyim understood that if you want to destroy the Jewish people, you could let them eat kibbeh. Not a problem. La Hamajin, no problem. But, but, Torah, stop them from learning Torah, and in essence, you destroyed the hayim of a Jew. So they made a decree. And Rabbi Akiva ignored the decree and continued to learn and teach. So the Gemara Masechet Berachot brings a conversation that happened in that time. Papos ben Yehuda tells Rabbi Akiva, what are you doing? You're teaching and you're learning Torah. You know the decree of the Romans. You're putting your life in danger. Says Rabbi Akiva to Papos ben Yehuda, he said, let me give you a mashal. Let me explain to you something. He says, one time there was a fox standing by the lake. And he sees that there are fish in the lake that are swimming back and forth, running from this, running from that. So the fox tells the fish, what's with you guys? Where are you running away from? Everything okay? They told him, listen, we have these fishermen. They're throwing down their nets. They're trying to trap us. We need to quickly move away from them. So the fox tells the fish, he says, in that case, why don't you come? I can protect you. Come up here, I'll protect you, and nothing will happen to you. So the fish told the fox, they say, you're the, you're the smart, you're the clever, you're the clever fox that everyone talks about. He said, they said to him, if in the water, where our life source is the water, we're struggling to make it. If we leave our life source, how in the world can we possibly even dream of making it? Then for sure we're going to die. At least in the water we have a chance. That's the famous story. I didn't come to tell you the story. I think most of you probably heard the story. But I heard a beautiful explanation in this story. That the fox is really that silly. The fox is telling the fish, come with me. Doesn't he know it's a fish? What was the conversation here? So I heard that for sure the fox had a fish tank with him. The fox wasn't telling them, come here and live with me without water. Of course. He had some water with him. 
and says, come, live with me and I'll take care of you. So then what was the fish's response? The fish's response was that if we don't live in the water, then we don't stand a chance. You giving us some water supply to keep us alive is enough that we don't pass out and die. But we're not going to live. The only way we can live is we have to be in the water. We have to be fully in it. A Jew who takes a taste of Torah or a Torah life is okay. He's, he's alive. But if you're in it, in it means you are mahazikba. You hold on to it because you realize it's your life. So then it's a different experience. It's a whole different experience. So let's go back to our subject. Kihem hayenu, as we say. The Torah is our life. You know, there's a story, famous story. Again, you all know the story. Story of Hillel Azaken. Hillel Azaken was a very poor man. In those days, they didn't have people supporting Talmidei Hachamim to learn. So if you had to learn, you had to work. There's no choice. Unless you had a rich father or rich father-in-law or something, you couldn't do it. Hillel Azaken had to work. And he made, the Gemara says, he made basically a dollar a day. So the Gemara says he would spend half of that money to support his family for the day. To buy them food and drink, whatever they needed. And the other half, he would take the money and give it to the person standing by the door of the Bet Midrash in order to walk in and to learn. In those days, if you wanted to go to the Bet Midrash, you had to pay. You don't hear, we let you go in for free. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> and then you take pictures, you were complaining. But in those days, in those days, before you walk in every day, every day, you have to pay. Now, it sounds like a significant amount of money because half of that was for his sustenance. What does it cost you to live a day? I don't know, $100, $1,000, whatever it is. That amount equal to that was given to the Bet Midrash before you walk in. Amazing thing. I say, what an amazing item. Today, we don't make people pay to come to shul. That's not a, that's not a sheva. Because if you would make people pay, no one would show up. That's right, nobody comes. In fact, we have to make sure they have food. We serve them deluxe breakfast. We give, you should come here in the morning and see what goes on. You think people are praying and learning? You should see the plates that they're making. It's the truth. We have to entice them. We have to bring them in. Give them food, give them something. Anyway, today we can't charge. But in those days they would charge. And Hillel was willing to pay everything he had whatever he had left, to the Bet Midrash. Famous story. But there's a very big question in that story. The Hafez Hayim asks that this story and what Hillel was doing was actually against Halakha. Because the Gemara says in Masechet Ketubot that a person should not spend more than one-fifth of his assets to perform a mitzvah. 
Certain mitzvot, they don't require money. You want to go learn, you don't need money. But if you want to do, go and uh, build a sukkah, you need money. You want to buy a lulav and a drug, you need money. You want to buy a tefillin, you need money. Certain mitzvot need you to spend money so you can do the mitzvah. So how much money am I required to spend from my assets in order to do the mitzvah? The Gemara in Ketubot says, no more than 20%. So let's say, for example, tefillin cost $1,000, and I only have $2,000. According to Halakha, I don't buy the tefillin. I don't put on tefillin, because I don't spend more than 20% of my earnings. I don't sit in the sukkah, I don't buy the love. That's how it works. So says the Hafez Hayim, why would Hillel give all his money? It's all he has. He's giving it all so he can go learn Torah. Why is he going against the halacha by giving all of his money to perform a mitzvah? That's the question the Hafez Hayim is. Says the Hafez Hayim that we can find the answer to this question in the Gemara itself that speaks about the story. The Gemara says, interestingly, that Hillel would come every day and give half of his earnings. Why would he do that? The Gemara says, in order to hear, listen to these words in Hebrew, divre Elohim Hayim Mipi Shemaya Be'aftalion. Shemayan Atalion were the rabbis. He came to hear the words of Torah from Shemayan Atalion. But look at the way the Gemara says it. It doesn't say he came to learn Torah. If somebody saw you today in an hour from now and said, what were you doing? Oh, I went to hear a class of Torah. But that's not what the Gemara says. It says that Hillel went to hear divre words of Elohim of God, Hayim, that are alive. Says the Hafez Haim, why is going to describe Hillel's learning as learning Divre Elohim Haim? Says the Hafez Haim, because this is answering my question from Masechet Ketubot. You see, for a mitzvah, any mitzvah, 20%, no But the Torah, learning Torah, is not a mitzvah. It's more than a mitzvah. Ki hem hayenu. It's your life. How much would you spend for your life? There's a limit in how much you spend for your life. Did you ever see someone negotiate with a doctor? The doctor says they need surgery. If you don't get it today, you're dying. How much? $20,000. I don't know. We'll see. Let's see. We'll go shop around. We'll let you know. Maybe I won't do it. Hello, you're dying today. If you don't get it, you're going to die. You don't negotiate life and death. You can negotiate a couch. You can negotiate a house. But you can't negotiate your life. If you if he's saving your life today, you tell him whatever you want. Says the Hafez Hayim, a regular mitzvah is very important, up to 20%. But when it comes, kiem hayenu, comes to your life, you're holding on to your life. There's no money. There's no limit to how much you spend. You give all your money in order to live. So that's what it means 
when it says in Devarim that Moshe says, you know what's on this side of the plate? Hayim, life. Not just learning Torah, but all aspects of Torah. It gives you life. And it's Tov. Tov means and it's very sweet. The Torah life is very sweet. There's nothing sweeter than a Shabbat. Nothing. A Shabbat that's practiced like the Torah expects us. There's nothing sweeter in the world. No day can be sweet like Shabbat. You can't do it. You could try in a million ways to do it. You can't do it. Shabbat has a formula. Relationships that are Torah, guided by Torah. Different relationships. A marriage of Torah is a sweet marriage. A home of Torah is a different kind of home. The hinuch of Torah. Children actually respect their parents. They stand up when their parents walk into a room. They kiss their parents' hand. They actually listen to their parents and ask, what can I do for you? That's, that's a hinuch that's a of Torah. Torah marriages, Torah homes, Shabbat, Yom Tov, and all day long. Tefillah, for those who appreciate it, is very sweet. Not everyone has the proper taste for it, but it's something that we have to work on. Tefillah is a sweet time of day. Mitzvot, Hesed is a sweet. All the mitzvot that are written in the Torah, they bring tov, they bring sweetness to a person's life. So let's go back again. It says Moshe Rabbeinu, here's the plate. You have Hayim, you have an elevated life, and you have a sweet life. Ubaharta Bahayim. We asked, why did he leave out the word tov? And why insult us by choosing the obvious choice? So it could be that Moshe Rabbeinu was saying something else here. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling you, even though when it comes to the plate, I'm telling you, there's hayim and there is sweetness. But when it comes to making your life choices, the pursuit should be the pursuit of hayim, not the pursuit of sweetness. Your decisions, your behira, when you come to make choices in your life, it should not be guided by the sweetness in the plate. It should be guided by the hayim in the plate. One more time. Every day we make decisions. When I make my decisions, should I pursue the decision that's going to give me a sweeter day, a sweeter week? Says Moshe Rabbeinu, don't decide based on sweetness. It's a mistake. Moshe Rabbeinu, if he was with the founding fathers of this country, he would say, delete the pursuit of happiness. Delete it. It's not, it's not, it's not a fact. It's misleading. Your pursuit cannot be happiness. But one second, we're in the 32nd class of Simha. Yeah, of course we need Simha. But Simha is one of those things that you can't pursue. Actually, if you pursue it, you're probably not getting it. 
Simha is not a place. It's not a target that you could actually reach to go get. It's not sold in supermarkets. You can't get it. You can't reach it. Because Simha is a consequence. Simha is something that happens when you get something else. What is that something else? So here I'm going to read for you the words of the Maharal. Look at these beautiful words of the Maharal. The Maharal says in his book in Netiva Torah, listen to these words in Hebrew. I had to say them in Hebrew because they're so beautiful. And I'll translate. He says, Ki hasimha hi mitzad hashelemut. Which means that happiness is not something you can grab. You can't go after happiness. It's a mistake. You could try. Your whole life you'll be living with the Declaration of Independence and you're just going to be pursuing happiness like everybody else out there. But guess what? The pursuit of happiness is not getting them to the happiness that they're looking forward to. They may get some sort of happiness, but it's not what they're pursuing. Says the Maharat, because they're making a mistake. Because Hasimha, he mitzada shlemut. There is no thing called Simha that you could pick up. It's the result of shlemut. What does shlemut mean? Shlemut means when you become more complete. He says, Va'asher yesh lo shlemut. The more shlemut you have, hu sameach. Simha comes from shlemut. Which means that if I could describe the plate to you, that Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, that's my own plate, but I'm trying to help you understand it and myself. The plate that Moshe described had in it Hayim and had in it Tov. But says Moshe Rabbeinu, don't pursue the Tov. Don't make decisions in your life. For example, don't keep Shabbat because it's sweet. Don't say, you know why I keep Shabbat? Because I love it. Don't say that. Don't say, I keep mitzvot because I enjoy it. Do not say that. Why? Says Moshe Rabbeinu, because the Tov is not sitting alongside the Hayim. The Tov is actually sitting inside the Hayim. In order to get to the Tov, you have to go for the Hayim. Going for Hayim, you're not deciding based on how good it is. If I tell you Shabbat is life and death, has nothing to do, forget the sweetness. Life and death is in Shabbat. You will follow Shabbat because it's life. You don't negotiate with life and death. You keep Shabbat because you have to. You do the right thing because you have to. That's the shell, it's on the outside. You know what happens when you go for the shell? Inside, you find the Tov. The Tov is not next to the Hayim, it's inside of it. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, even though in this plate there's Hayim and there's Tov, when you come to make choices in your life, don't fall for the mistake that people make. Don't say, I keep Shabbat because I love Shabbat. It's a mistake. 
it's misleading. Because guess what? There'll be a time when you won't love something about Shabbat. Or there might be a Shabbat that you don't love to keep. And there might be a mitzvah that you don't say, I give staka because I love to give staka. Give staka because you need to give staka. Because it's life. Don't say, I learn because I love to learn. Learning Torah, for a person who knows how to learn, it's sweet. It's so sweet. You know, Ramnasan Sri Finkel, Allah Shalom, passed away a few years ago. He had Parkinson's for 30 years of his life. He was a tremendous Rosh Yeshiva who built, with his Parkinson's, he built the biggest Yeshiva in the world. He told somebody at the end of his life, he says, you know why I think Hashem gave me this terrible disease? He says, because I wasn't able to learn Torah Lishma. Because I loved to learn so much that it couldn't, I couldn't do it Lishem Shemayim. I couldn't do it for Hayim. I enjoyed it so much. You know what it's like? It's like telling a guy on Friday night to eat Kibbeh Lishem Shemayim. <laughs> How many people? It's the hardest mitzvah. If you love Kibbeh and they say, here, could you eat Kibbeh Lishem Shemayim? It's very hard to eat kibbeh l'shem shemayim. It's very hard. You could say, oh yes, l'shem shemayim. But you can't because you're loving it. <laughs> when you love something so much, it's hard to do it l'shem shemayim. Rabbi he said to the person he's talking to, he says, I think the reason why I had to go through this difficulty to learn because it was hard for me to learn l'shma because I loved it so much. The sweetness of Torah life doesn't come because you're pursuing the sweetness. It comes when you pursue the shlemut. When you pursue shlemut, you start doing things because you have to. Because Hashem said to. Because it's life. Because it's complete. Because that's the way it's supposed to. You don't have to like it. It doesn't matter if you like it. It's irrelevant. Guess what's going to come right under the tov, the sweetness. So Moshe Rabbeinu is not just saying which plate to choose from. Of course we know to choose the right plate. He's telling you in the right plate, when you make the choices, don't choose the tov, don't pursue the happiness. Pursue the tov, in the hayim. And in the hayim, right there, you're going to find waiting for you the tov. But if you look for the tov, it's going to mislead you and you're not going to end up with Hayim. And not Hayim and not Tov. Very critical Nekuda. That's what the Torah says. When by Matan Torah, Hashem, before He gave us the Torah, the Pasuk says, Ve'ata im shamoa tishme'u bekoli. Hashem says, if you listen to what I'm telling you. Says Rashi, Ve'ata, Im tekabelu alechem. First, you have to accept it. You have to commit to it. Why? Because I'm telling you. Listen to my voice. Shamoa tishmeu bekoli. The pursuit is what I tell you. Says Rashi, Ya'erav lachem. But in the end, you'll see the sweetness. But don't accept it because it's sweet. It's a big mistake. You know, today in America, 
rabbis have to get up and say, Torah is so sweet, Shabbat is so good. Living a life with no Lashon Hara is great. Giving tzedakah is great. We have to talk that way. We have no choice. Because we're competing with the media. We're competing with a world that everybody's trying to make you happy. Every billboard is trying to sell you the next item that's going to bring you happiness. Every advertisement, every company is taking your attention how they're going to make you a happier person. If the rabbi would get up and say, Im Do it because Hashem said. People say, I don't understand. Those guys are selling me happiness. What are you selling me? What are you? No way. So we have to talk the language so people can hear. But in the truth, we're not supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be telling people, everybody, listen up. Just follow what Hashem says. Don't think about the sweetness. Don't think about the pleasure. That's not what you're coming to choose. You're coming to choose shlemut. You're coming to choose life and a complete life. And then the sweetness will come. That's what Hashem told us. By the way, this answers a very big question. It's a question that was asked to none other than the Magid Midurna. The Magid Midurna was a very famous, famous rabbi. He was one of, first he was a great man. But one of the things he was famous for, we've mentioned him here through the years, is that every time someone would ask him a question, instead of giving him a direct answer, he would give him a mashal. He wouldn't just answer. He would give a story and he would give the whole answer in the story. I told you once, one time somebody asked him, Rabbi, how come every time somebody asks you a question, you give them a mashal? So he said, let me give you a mashal. <laughs> he says, here's a mashal. He says, one time, one time, Emet was walking in the street. Truth is walking in the street. The naked truth. Everyone sees Emet. Every time you see Emet, someone sees Emet, they run the other way. One runs to the left, one runs to the right, one is hiding. Hazid, Emet, he felt very bad. Imagine walking in the street. Everyone who sees you runs away from you. He gets home dejected. Feels very bad. He sees his friend, the Mashal, at home. Mashal tells him, what happened to you? He looked down. He said, what can I tell you? Everywhere I go, people are running away from me. He says, you know, I have, I have a solution for you. He says, why? Let's walk together. I'll walk in front of you. When I walk in the front, nobody will see you. When they see me, they're not scared. They love me. People love stories. Oh, a story about a guy in Africa, a guy in, in Puerto Rico, a guy here, a guy here. Nice story. Tell a story of somebody. And as I talk to them, then all of a sudden, in the end, right when I finish, I'll move away, and boom, you'll be right there. It's too late. They can't they can avoid you. That's the story with us. When we hear, if you tell someone the truth straight, then listen, you have to work on your anger. You're a miserable human being. You understand me? You hear what I'm saying? You gotta work on your anger. You're a horrible person. Also, they look at you and say, who are you? And you think you're better than me? They, they, they checked out. They don't know who you're talking to. They don't want to hear you. But then tell them a story about a guy in Africa who got angry. And all of a sudden, you tell a story and the guy's so into it and you know. And all of a sudden, at the end of the story, he realizes you're talking about him. 
But by then it's too late. The message already seeped in. That's the power of a mashal. A mashal is able to talk indirectly, but directly. But it's like you clo- the clothing is, looks very, very innocent until you get to, this, to the end. So somebody asked him a question. He asked him, how come Hachamim made it? You know, we have every week we read a parasha. We have parashat Shavua, Very well known throughout the Jewish world. What's not so well known is that this is really something that the Hachamim put together. There's no mitzvah in the Torah to read this parasha this week or that parasha the next week. Hachamim came and wanted us to finish the Torah once a year. So they made a seder. They said, read Bereshit. Here, Noah, Lech Lecha, sometimes two parashiyot, depending on the year. And then, they made a siyum, and then we start again, once a year, we finish the whole Torah. We do it every week. Now, the way they designed it, one is, one is the siyum of the Torah. When do we make the siyum of the Torah? Simhat Torah. Simhat Torah, the eighth day of Sukkot, right? Here, outside of Israel, we do it the ninth day. We come and we finish the Torah, Bezot Beracha, and then we start again, Bereshit. Someone asked the Magid Medubna, if the Hachamim were coming to make a seder of all the parashiyot so we could finish the whole Torah once a year. He said, what do you think in your mind if you were going to do it? When would you make the beginning? When would Bereshit start? And when would you make the seal? When, when would you do it? When were we given the Torah? Shavuot. So obviously, if you're going to start the order, you start from the day Hashem gave us the Torah. And that is Shavuot. That means this Shavuot, yesterday, we should have celebrated the Siyum of Zota Beracha. And this coming week, we'll start reading Bereshit. And Odapam next year. What does the end of Sukkot have to do with Simhat Torah. Could you imagine? On Shavuot, you don't find many people dancing with the Torah. We don't find Simhat Torah. We learn the Torah, but we're not celebrating the Torah. Sim- on Sukkot has nothing to do with Matan Torah. Over there, we take out the Sefer Torah and we start dancing with it and we start singing with Somebody came to the Magim and asked a great question. Why in the world would they make the order the way they made it? Does it make sense? Who made this order? What were they thinking? So the Magid says, let me give you a mashal. Is one time there was a melech and he had no children. Him and his wife were not zochet to have children. They tried everything, nothing worked. Finally, somebody came to tell them there is a very, very wise man. He's mamash ish moftim, does miracles. Go to see him. Maybe he could help you. They went to see this wise man. He tells the melech and his wife after he analyzed the situation. He said, listen, there is one way you could have a child. Only one way. What's the way? He says, you have to have on one condition. What's the condition? That if you have a girl, She's not allowed to see a man, not even once, till she's married. Till then, she's not allowed to see a man. The day she sees a man, she dies. 
So if you accept this condition, you can have a child. Okay, at this point, they had no choice. They said, we'll accept, make a bed. Sure enough, his wife got pregnant, she had a baby, and it was a girl. The king, of course, has the wherewithal. He has an island ready, set up. Only ladies go on the island. Women only. Okay? And this girl grows up in this island. She never saw her father. She never saw any men. She grew up only with women. She's growing up. She's going to school. She got educated. Normal life. It's okay. A girl's supposed to be with girls when she's younger. It's not, it's not a big deal. And now came time. Shiduchim. Now she's of age. So the Melech, of course, is a very uh, important person. He thinks everybody's going to jump at his proposal that he needs a son. He's the going to be the prince, maybe the next Melech. Oh, so he turns to one of his favorite people. Someone really turns to him and says, listen, I think I would like to make a shiduch with you for my daughter. Would you, would you be willing? The guy turns colors. Of course, your majesty, what would I do for your daughter? I'll do anything for your daughter. Of course, what an honor you're giving me to be your son-in-law. Of course, my pleasure. He says, okay, so when do I get to meet her? He says, no, you can't meet her. So what do you mean I can't meet her? No, no. After you marry her, you can meet her. I'm not, I'm not really ready. I need a little more time. He gets out of it. That's how it works. He's not ready. He goes to another one, another one, another one. Who's going to marry a girl that he doesn't see? Who knows what that? Who knows? Maybe she's in a wheelchair. Maybe she's in a coma. Who knows what she is? Nobody's doing it. Who's taking the risk? Then finally, there's somebody who really loves the king. Very, very big fan of the Melech. Loves the Melech. The king tells him the story. He says to the king, if it's your daughter, I'm in. I don't care. If I see her, if I don't see her, he's talking very, very uh, confident. Okay. Done. They make the wedding date. Make the shidduch. And they start inviting all the dignitaries from all over the world. They're coming to this very important wedding. They're coming to the wedding of the only daughter of the king with this guy. Everyone's very excited. Comes the day, the music, the everyone, just imagine what's going on. Everyone's very excited. Everyone is excited except for the Hatan. The Hatan, listen, he's excited, but he's not really so excited. He doesn't know what, what's going to be. Like, is she going to walk down the aisle or they're going to wheel her in? Like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what's going to be. So he's, he's marching and he's all sweating and he's nervous. He can't even hear the music. He can't taste even the food. He's a nervous wreck. This is his whole life. He's committing to his whole life. He's married. He's not divorcing the king's daughter. Okay. He stands under the chuppah. He's waiting. He's praying. (laughs) Everyone prays under the chuppah. Maybe the prayer started from that chuppah. He's praying. He's praying. He doesn't know what. And all of a sudden, the door's open. She's walking. Baruch Hashem. She has legs. Big item. Okay. Now he still doesn't know. Does she have arms? Does she have a... Who knows? Does she have eyes? Finally, as she comes closer, he sees she's moving her hands. Okay? Not bad. Legs, arms. 
He sees she has a, behind the behind the veil. She can't see, but he sees like this. Looks like a face. Okay. And, okay, he's getting a little more comfortable. He still doesn't know. Maybe she's like totally patient. She ain't got money now. Who knows? Finally, he gets to meet her. He starts to live with her. Really sees she's a great girl. She's special. She's beautiful. She's inside and out. Everything. Five months later, he comes to the Melech. He says, Your Majesty, my father-in-law, my dear father-in-law, can I have a, just a heart-to-heart with you? He says, of course. He says, could you make me another wedding? <laughs> what? Another wedding? What happened? Who are you marrying? No, no, your daughter. He said, we already made a wedding. He says, now I want to tell you the truth. When I married your daughter, I was very confident when I spoke to you, but I was a nervous wreck. I really didn't know what I was going to be into. I had no idea. I was so nervous. Everyone's enjoying that wedding. I was the only guy who couldn't enjoy the wedding. I couldn't enjoy it. I was too nervous. He said, but now after living with your daughter for five months, I see I'm the luckiest man in the world. Your daughter is so special. He said, I want to make a party, and this time I could really enjoy it. I could enjoy every minute of that wedding, knowing how special is this girl that I married. Says the Magid Medubner that when Am Yisrael received the Torah on Har Sinai, that was Shavuot. We said Naaseh Nishma. Naaseh Nishma. Now we said Hashem, we love you. We know whatever you give us is good, but we're nervous wrecks. Who knows? Maybe the Torah is going to ask us to fast for three hundred sixty-five days straight. We don't know. Doesn't say we don't. We have no idea what's written. We don't know anything. We don't know what they're asking of us to do. So after, so we can't celebrate on Shavuot. Shavuot is time of commitment. Im that's, that's, we're doing it because it's Hayim, because it's Shlemut, that's it. But after five months, when we have the Torah for five months, comes Simchat Torah, now we say, well, now we want to celebrate. Now we want to celebrate the beauty of the Torah, the life of Torah. Shavuot, we're not ready to celebrate. Because we haven't yet tasted that sweetness. So therefore, again, back to our subject. The pursuit of happiness, terrible mistake. While we all want happiness, pursuing happiness doesn't lend happiness. In fact, it usually lends the opposite. If you pursue shlemut, like the Maharal says, ki hasimha mitzada shlemut. It's right under shlemut. The more you become shalem, the more you become a greater person, the more you watch your mouth, the more you watch your thoughts, the more you watch your actions, the more you align yourself with Hayim, automatically you're going to see and you're going to feel the sweetness of the Torah. That's why Hazal say in Masechet Shabbat that when Ami Yisrael said, Hashem took the Har Sinai, the mountain, and He put it on top of them and He threatened them. And He told them, if you accept, good. If you don't accept, then you'll be buried right there. And Tosfor asked, I don't understand. They already committed. They already, what are you threatening them for? They already said, what was the point of this new threat? So perhaps the answer is that Hashem was telling them, Maybe you committed because you thought it was going to be sweet. But I'm telling you, you have to commit as a life and death. 
proposition. Not just commit because you think it's going to be great. Commit because kihem hayenu. Because your life is dependent on it. That's the way you're mekabel the Torah. And that gives you the strength. Because again, if you accept the Torah only for its sweetness, you may have certain times in your life where you're not going to feel the sweetness. Not always going to be feeling so great. Sometimes there is a commitment and sometimes it's going to be difficult. It's like a great marriage. Even Every great marriage has its moments where it's difficult. You have to get up and do things that you may not want to do. You have to give up something that you may not want to give up. You have to be mevater when you don't want to be mevater. That's part of marriage. But guess what? That whole picture in the end of done right produces something very, very sweet. That's why it's interesting, by the way. Very, very difficult mahlukah to understand. <clears throat> Not the mahlukah, the Gemara. The Gemara says in Masechet Pesachim, listen to this Gemara. It says that when it comes to the holidays, Yamim Tobim, says Rabbi Eliezer, how are you supposed to spend the holiday? Says Rabbi Eliezer, you could eat and, eat and drink all day if you want. You want to just eat and drink? No problem. Or you want to learn all day? You want to learn Torah all day? No problem. Which means you either could spend it in physical indulgence or in spiritual indulgence. Up to you. You want to learn Torah all day? No problem. You want to eat all day? All good. Whatever you like. Whatever makes you happy. Says Rabbi Yoshua, no way. You have to give a little bit to the body, a little to the neshama. You got to divide it. Eat and learn spiritual and physical. Nice. Very nice. Comes the Gemara and says that this mahluket is only by Pesach and Sukkot. But on Shavuot, there's no mahluket. So if I told you that, what would you say? What do you mean there's no mahluket? You would say everyone agrees that you could learn Torah all day. No, the opposite. Says the Gemara, on Shavuot, even the rabbi who says you could learn all day on Yom Tov, not on Shavuot. On Shavuot, you have to eat. And you have to physically enjoy. You would think it's exactly the opposite. If there was one holiday, if I told you, there's one holiday where... You could learn all day. Which one would it be? Shavuot. Says, give it a no. Shavuot, everyone holds. You can't just learn. You have to go eat. You have to enjoy. You have to indulge physically. Why? How does that make sense? And today, we're answering the question. It makes sense because a person might think that Matan Torah, the Torah that Hashem gave us, is some sort of decree that takes away the sweetness of life. And specifically on Shavuot, when we accept the Torah, Hashem says, but you should know, you have to celebrate physically. Don't give the wrong message to yourself and the people around you. The Torah is Hayim and it's Tov. It's both. The Torah doesn't take away your physical pleasure. It gives you physical pleasure. But like we learned today, make sure your pursuit is shlemut. Pursuit should not be of simha. That's what made Yitro so special. You ever think that the Torah gave us the parasha 
where Hashem gave us the Torah. What do we name this parasha? Parashat Yitro. Because it's right next to it. By the way, according to many Mefarshim, the Yitro only joined Am Yisrael after Matan Torah. That means the Torah put this parasha of Yitro totally out of place. Why was the, why is the parasha of Yitro? Imagine getting the honor, the kavod, that the parasha of Matan Torah is named after you. Yitro would be the last guy that we would think. Yitro, Hazal tell us, is someone who worshipped all the idols in the book. He went and worshipped them. That's the guy that we're going to name Matan Torah after? Aren't there better candidates like Moshe and Aharon and Miriam? Why Yitro? So the truth is, Yitro is very unique. Because it's very rare that you'll find a person that worshipped all the idols in the world. People don't do that. People usually have an idol. They start talking about it. They start preaching about it. They, that becomes their idol. He was a Kohen, which means he was a priest. How many priests do you know have worshipped this idol, then a year later changed to that idol, then went to that religion, and then decided to go to that idol? They don't do that. Once you pick one religion, you stay with it. How come Yitro kept going from religion to religion? The answer is actually when we say he worked, he did every religion, that was actually to praise him. It was a Sheva. That Yitro was a man who was Mehapes Shlemut. He was looking for the Emet. He was looking for the right thing. And he tried this. And if it wasn't the right thing, he said, you know what? Forget it. Garbage. Next one. Ne next one. He kept looking for the emet. He wasn't looking what gave him the biggest pleasure. He wasn't looking for the religion that made him the most comfortable. He was looking for the one that was shalem, that brought him shlemut. And that's, by the way, what differentiates between great people in our history and the people who almost made it but never made it. One example is Lot. Lot is a man who's a mystery. He's really a mystery, this man. He was the student of Abraham Avinu. He followed Abraham in the most difficult test. He wasn't even tested, but yet he followed him. He left his country, he left his friends. Why? Just to be with his rabbi, with his mentor. Lot was the student, loyal student of Abraham Avinu. Where did he go off? What happened to him? Why did Abraham, excuse me, why did Lot end up, by the way, Lot didn't just end up as a regular goy. Lot, his children are Ammon and Moab. The Torah warns us that we're not allowed to marry them even if they convert. A regular goy converts, we marry them. But Lot, his children, Ammon and Moab, even if they convert, they can convert, but you can't marry them. How did this man decline so much. What happened to him? Really in the Torah, there's not much information to feed our question, to give us an answer. But there is a hint, a beautiful hint. A beautiful hint in the Torah. When Lot was in Sodom, as you know, he located himself in Sodom, sin city of the time. And there was a world war. And Lot was taken captive by one of the kings. So the Pasuk says, look, look at this Pasuk. Vayikhu, pay attention. I hope your Hebrew is good. Even if your English, I'll translate it. Look, listen good. 
Vayikhu, they took, they captured, et lot, okay? et rechusho, rechusho means his wealth, he's a wealthy man. They took Lot and his wealth, ben ahi Avram, the nephew of Avram. Something wrong with that pasuk. Let's read it again. Vayikhu et lot, ve'et rechusho, ben ahi Avram. That's not the way you write a sentence. You're supposed to write, vayikhu et lot, ben ahi Avram. And then they took his wealth. Why does the Torah put the word rechusho in between lot and Avram? Because Hazal, the Torah, is teaching us that if you want to know where Lot went off the derech, you may not have noticed it, but there was a moment in Lot's life where he started to make money and he started to taste the pleasure of life, which is not a bad thing. It's okay to enjoy life. The opposite, we're supposed to enjoy life. But when you start to enjoy life, there's a great danger that it becomes your new pursuit. And that's where Lot started to go away from Abraham. Rechusho, his wealth, his physical success was what made the boundary between him and his uncle. He was doing great. He was a man who was Rodef Shlemut. He was a man who was looking always, when he made decisions, you know what he asked himself? What's the right thing to do? Most people in the world, when they have a decision, they ask, what do I want to do? In other words, what is going to give me the most pleasure? That's how we make decisions. But And Lot was not on that program. But at some point, when he tasted wealth, all of a sudden, it diverted his way of thinking and instead of making decisions in life how do you make decisions you have to ask yourself are you like abraham or are you like lot when you have decisions to make in your life do you decide based on what's going to give me more pleasure i'm not talking about if you want to eat sushi or pasta i'm not talking about that that kind of decision but real life decisions what do i do on shabbat what do i eat how do i talk how do i dress how do I raise my children? How do I make my decisions in life? How do you decide that? Do you decide that based on what you think is gonna, is your GPS basically focused when you put the address, did you put in pleasure or did you put in shlemut? For most people, they put in pleasure, especially if they tasted pleasure. They put pleasure, that's where I'm headed. And you put in pleasure, you don't get there. You put in the address as Shlemut, that's the way it is. Lot, at some point in his life, put in the address of pleasure. And that's what separated him. Now, I was just in Israel, and we went to visit something I never saw before, someone I never saw before, a young rabbi, young Tamil Hakam in Bnei Brak. They said, you have to go see him. He's a very, very knowledgeable person, knows Torah, and he answers questions of halacha. People call him, they ask him questions. So I'm thinking, like, okay, 
What's the big deal? I can answer questions. Why is this such a big site? But they, they, so many people told me to go. I said, I don't have to go. I want to go. So I went. I went, into, I went with all the boys. We went to see. And that, it was something to see. It was really something to see. We got there. He's a 40-year-old man. Went to his house. And all of a sudden, we said, on the table, there's like 20 phones. 20 cordless phones. And they're ringing off the hook. One phone rings, another phone rings, another phone rings. All of a sudden, he gives me the phone. <laughs> like, what do I do? She says, listen to the question. Some guy asked me a question. I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn now. Yeah, he's in Israel. I'm in Brooklyn. Uh, should I make shahiyanu on, on a mango? Because in Israel, there are no mangoes. But in Brooklyn, there are always mangoes. You make shahiyanu. What's the answer? What's the answer? He says, tell him the answer. He makes a beracha. And this is the siman shahiyanu. Like, oh wow. And he's answering questions, literally, right, Rabbi Freed. Is that is Rabbi Freed? It's unbelievable. It was really unbelievable. Every second, phones are ringing. You can call me some. You can just pick up the phone, there's a number, call it. I talk in Hebrew, I don't really know English. Anyway, so I'm walking out of there, I'm thinking, wow, this man is really unbelievable. He knows Kola Torah Kula. He knows every place by heart where the halacha is. They ask him any question. They ask him Tevilat Kelim, Allah. Every question you could imagine that was asked and repeat. It's interest. Then I thought to myself, I said, you know, this visit says a lot about Rabbi Free. It does. But I said, it shows so much also, or maybe more, about all the people that are asking. How many people are calling in? They're calling in. They want to know, what do I do in this case? How many questions do you have that you're calling in about? I bet you have a lot of questions, but you never even thought to ask. There are a lot of questions that come up in a day in a Jewish person's life, a lot. There are so many questions. But we don't have that habit and perhaps one of the reasons is that we're not rodef shlemut. We're not looking for shlemut. We're looking for simha. We're looking for pleasures, but not for shlemut. If we were looking for shlemut, there'd be many more questions. You know, what, can, what should I do here? What should I do there? What's the right thing to do here? So many questions. I say, Look at Am Yisrael. Look at all these people calling in with every time the most random questions. But guess what? If you're a person who's looking to do the right thing, then you get a lot of questions. Many people, many people that I know really never even called once for a question. I thought I'm going to be a rabbi of a shul. I'm going to be like the phone's off the hook with questions. But I learned all Al-Khot Shabbat, Al-Khot Basar Behalab, Al-Khot... You name it. I'm psyched. I'm ready. I got my uh, my rabbinical degree. Okay? I, no, I didn't get a question until today. Nobody asked questions. The only question they asked me is Shalom Bayit. That's the only question. I wouldn't even learn about that in Yeshiva. What, what, what about all the questions? So many questions. That was a hizuk for me. To see so many thousands of people who 
were calling about the most random questions. And I said to myself, if I was in his situation, I may not even be called. I have a mango. I'm eating a mango. I'm thinking now about Shehayano. I'm not even thinking about it. Here's a man thinking about Shehayano. He wants to know Mizuzah on this side of the house because there's a door and there's nothing. So, there is a great value. Like the Torah is teaching us, Your life decisions should be not about tov. Should be about what's the right thing to do. It's really an attitude. It's an attitude of life. To live emet is not only about speaking the truth. People think that emet means you don't lie. You don't cheat in business. Of course, that's one form of emet. But emet is a lot deeper than that. Emet is the signature of Hashem. Hazal tell us, when Hashem signs his name, what's the signature say? Emet. Emet is deeper than not lying. Emet is living life of emet. That when you do something, it's emet. Just being a Jew needs to be an expression of emet. There are so many religions out there. You have to know what's emet and what's sheker. What makes Torah emet? What makes other religions sheker? You have to know. What that is, you can't be blind in that situation. You have to know the emet. Because whatever we do in our lives, we have to look at ourselves and say, we're living emet. You know why I keep Shabbat? Because it's emet. You know why I eat this? Because it's emet. You know why I don't eat that? Because it's not emet. Emet is more than not saying a lie. Emet is doing things that have a purpose and that bring a person to Shlemut. Like the Rambam says, you know, the major religions around us. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Started with one man. One man had a dream. One man saw someone in the desert. It's by, own, by their own admission. You can't start a religion with one man. How are we supposed to know that that person was not lying? Who said he didn't make it up? Maybe he was dreaming and he thought it was real. The only way to give a religion is to give the instructions in front of everybody, live. That's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says, the Rambam says, Moshe Rabbeinu. How about Moshe Rabbeinu? You ever wonder why we trust Moshe Rabbeinu? Why? Okay, Hashem appeared to us on Har Sinai. Every single Jew alive at that time was there. That's big. Nobody had to tell us. Nobody said he had a dream. Nobody said he heard. We were all there. That's an amazing event. That's the only way you can give a Torah without anyone saying, well, maybe they made it up. Everyone alive at the time saw it. In fact, the Torah says, this is an unbelievable statement the Torah makes in Parashat Vayet Hanan. The Torah makes a promise. Listen to this promise. Tell me how awesome this promise is. The promise, he says, Moshe Rabbeinu, Ki she'alna. He says, any Jew, at any time in history, whoever is reading this, ask, le'yamim rishonim, ask from the beginning of time, asher hayu lefanecha. He says, from the, from the one mikseh ha'shamayim, at ketseh ha'shamayim, from one end of the planet to the other end of the planet. means, all of space and all of time. Ask, hanihiyah, 
Did it ever happen? Listen to this unbelievable promise. Moshe Rabbeinu stands up 3,300 years ago and tells Am Yisrael that there will never be a national revelation. There will never be a nation that will see God appear to them all together. Okay, that's nice, but something bigger than that. There will never be a claim. In the history of mankind, there are tens of thousands of religions. They will never, and many of them have copied the Torah. Whether it's dietary laws, or laws between man and man, or mikveh laws, or many, many laws. They copy the Torah. Guess what's the most important thing to copy in the Torah? The beginning of the Torah. Guy comes to you today and says, Look, I have a new religion. Who are you? Who said God spoke to you? How do I believe you? The most critical part of any religion is the beginning <laughs> of the religion. How can you prove to me that you're a meant? Tell me. Because you saw it? No, not good enough. Because you heard it? Not good enough. I need a national revelation. So they copied so much of the Torah. The most important one that you think for sure they're going to copy is that we had a national revelation. God came to all of us. Moshe Rabbeinu promises, promises. There will never be a claim. There will never be a religion. Forget they won't have it. There will never be a claim. Nobody will even ever say it. There was there's never a religion from Moshe Rabbeinu today that even claims they had, a national, they had a revelation for the entire... Not possible. Unbelievable thing. So that's Hashem revealed Himself to us. But how do we trust Moshe Rabbeinu? Afterward, Moshe Rabbeinu gave us laws. He taught us what he learned in Har Sinai. Says the Rambam, how can we trust Moshe Rabbeinu? Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu made things up. How do we know? Hashem revealed himself to us. Great. That was by Har Sinai. But every law afterwards, we say, Halakha le Moshe Sinai. Moshe taught us the law. Who says you can trust Moshe? Sounds uh, sacrilegious, but if, there's, if you live emet, you have to know. Who says you can trust Moshe Rabbeinu? Maybe he made it up. Says the Rambam, Moshe Rabbeinu, Lo he'eminu bo Yisrael, Mipene ha'otot she'asa. It's not because he was a miracle worker. Yeah, people could do miracles, people could do witchcraft. That's not, that's not why they trusted in Moshe. What's the only way that we would be able to trust Moshe? Says the Rambam, because Hashem told him in Parashat Yitro, look what it says. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Hine, anochi ba'elecha. I'm coming to you, be'av he'anan, in, in, the, in the cloud. Ba'avur ishma ha'am, because I want people to listen when I talk to you. Which means, through me, I'm going to tell them that you are my trusted messenger. So why did we trust Moshe Rabbeinu? Because Hashem told us to trust him. If he would come on his own and say, trust me, no shot. Hashem would expect us to practice emet on something that is so faulty. Like the story, I'll end off. Story of three, I told you a story once. There were three Indians 
their father was the chief, very powerful chief. He had millions of people under his power. So one day he died suddenly, big tragedy. The chief died, young men. He didn't leave any instructions behind what's gonna be, who's gonna take over. So now, guess what happened? Big mahloket with the children. No, the Bechor says, okay. Me, I'm the Bechor, I'm the, I'm the guy. The second brother says, what are you, what are you doing for us because you're the Bechor? You're, you're, you, have, you have nothing to offer. He said, I am the wealthiest of the brothers. If someone's going to leave, it's going to be me. The third guy says, what's your wealth going to do for us? I am the powerful brother. All the army is under me. Without an army, what's your money going to help? So they're going back and forth. Around the table. I'm the Bechor. I'm the richest. I'm the, I'm the strongest. This is going on for months. They're fighting. You know? and, the, and the whole place is going crazy. There's no chief. What's going to happen? Finally, one of the brothers comes to the other two. He says, guys, guys, we have a very important meeting. I want to share with you very important information. And these guys are very tamim guys. Very simple guys. He says, listen, it's over. He says, what's over? You know, our mahlukat, who should be the... It's over. He says, really, what, what happened? He says, uh, last night, I had a dream. And our father came to me in a dream. Oh, really? What did he say? He says that you're supposed to be the chief. He said, I'm supposed to be the chief. He said, really? He said that? He said, yeah, last night in a dream. He said, oh. So he told him, hail to the chief. Hail to the chief. It's unbelievable. Beautiful. They crowned him as the chief. They made this ticker tape parade all over the city. He's running around him and his brothers. They put him as the melech. On the big float around the city, they're going around. There's one old man watching the parade. He sees millions. He turns to the guy next to him. He says, I want to ask you, how did this thing ever get resolved? Weren't they fighting all this time? He says, oh, you don't know what happened. It's a crazy story. Amazing story. Miraculous story. He says, what happened? He says, the father came to the king, this new king, in a dream. And he told them that you're the Melech. Could you believe such a thing? That their father actually came to him? What an amazing thing. Hail to the chief. A <laughs> wise man says, you dip. You and all the people here, a bunch of dips. He says, if the father wanted to tell the people that he should be the next chief, he shouldn't come to him. He has to come to them. He has to tell them. How are they supposed to believe him? But you know what? As silly as that story is, it's a story of many religions. Where a person comes and says, I'm the melech. Who says you're the melech? Who says? But that's the way it is. Emet is more than saying the truth. Emet is living truth. And a person who pursues the emet, like Yitro, like Moshe Rabbeinu, which I didn't get to, I'm not going to get to it. At the end of the day, this is what brings Hayim and Tov. But if you choose, if you're looking for the Tov, you're going down the route of Lot. When you go down the route of Tov, you're going to get, somewhere you're going to get derailed. That's where you're going to find Simha. Right when you get to the Hayim, you get to Shlemut, you open Shlemut, 
You keep Shabbat because Hashem says. All of a sudden, mm, tastes good. You eat kosher because Hashem says, ah, oh, it's good. You raise your children the right way, oh, it's good. Everything you do because Hashem says. But then the tov comes right at the heel of that. Baruch Amen ve Amen. Have a great day.